1: And welcome to the left wing. Well, it's the final weekend of the Women's Six Nations. Ireland plays Scotland in Belfast on Saturday evening, and they go into this finale fourth in the table on five points with Scotland bottom on two points. Now, Gregwick Williams has named his team. There's also been plenty of talking points this week after Ireland's 69-nil beating by England. Now I'm joined by Irish independent rugby writer Keen Tracy and Wasps hooker Kleena Maloney. Kleena, after that defeat to England, it feels like we've hit another moment of reckoning in a way we're getting firmer indications now that the RFU will look at putting contracts in place for 15s players possibly even before next year's Six Nations what's your reaction to that? Um, it, It is welcome it's a welcome one and I think you know
2: I do hope well I am hopeful that not only do the contracts come when they say they'll have come but that they'll come in enough numbers for it to be substantial you know we've seen um we've seen in Wales they've got you know a certain amount of contracts and they've got some retainers, but it still puts players in quite a difficult position unless their employers are you know quite flexible with them. It can still be really hard to manage that. Um I will get into a little bit more later on, I suppose, but it is it's a really difficult situation, I think, for some of the players, particularly anyone in around the age of maybe, you know, 26, 27, 28, that they're they're in well-established careers and it will mean, particularly in Dublin, if you know, you've, got an expensive, you've got an expensive cost in your rent and your cost of living, it's, really, it's going to pose a really difficult question for a certain amount of players. But we'll kind of get into that a little bit, I think, later on, because that is something
1: to consider, I think. Absolutely. Keen. you spoke with Greg McWilliams over at Welford Road after the game last Sunday, and he told you that professionalism is not the pipeline for the, for the women's team.
0: Yeah, Sinead, it was, it was worth the trip. Um, I was the only one over there covering the game, but it was worth the trip to have set the ball.
1: The only set Irish the- journalist.
0: Yeah it was yeah um so it was worth it was worth going because yeah like i mean look this is the value in i suppose going to these things cuz you never know what you're going to get and obviously i got to chat to greg in person which always helps that it wasn't um over zoom so you know it was yeah it was good it was a good line and obviously you brought it on further again during the week which was great so um yeah like I suppose it's just a pity that we have to have like you called it a reckoning these these moments for you know things to be put in place um the game itself went exactly how we thought it would but unfortunately it had to happen for these conversations to take place which is fairly sad really when you think about it um Having been over at the game and seeing the effort that the players put in in the first half, um, it was remarkable, really. I, I was talking to a couple of people about this and I don't know if it came across on, on TV, but honestly, the physicality of Obviously, it was yeah. it was through the roof and for Ireland to have held out for so long in the first half was like. Seriously impressive, and that's not being patronising at all. It was seriously impressive, but there was just no way they were going to be able to do it for for eighty minutes. And I suppose it was disappointing that they conceded the third try so early in the second half, and the floodgates opened. So, look, I, we've been banging on about this Sinead throughout this podcast over the last few weeks. This is just the reality of of where Ireland are at. And I don't think, you know, Kleena kind of touching it there. I don't think like handing out contracts is a magic fix by any means, but it's certainly a way to give the players a better chance because we discussed this uh, after the Wales game you know it's not like wales have suddenly turned into this unbelievable team which england are to be fair and i think it's worth giving them their credit again some of the rugby that they played the skill level that they showed was seriously seriously impressive but we saw it in the second half of the wales game how they were able to pull pull away their fitness levels were better their conditioning levels were better and we saw that on a different level at the weekend against england so um you know, we saw the photo that Ethan McDermott put up on Monday morning back in, you know, in her job as a nurse. And I've just come off a, a call with Hannah O'Connor. Uh, we'll have a piece um, up in, online in the paper tomorrow with her. She's a primary school teacher. And, like, you know, she was in the thick of it all afternoon on Sunday. They got home late on Sunday night, uh, up first thing Monday morning. And she has to stand in a classroom and, and teach kids. And, like, I would say... Th- th- the player like, and it's important to stress this, none of the players are like making excuses or are really like hamming it up in any way. But I guarantee you that the likes of Hannah O'Connor's body was battered and bruised on Monday morning and incredibly sore because the game was so physical. Um, so, yeah, look, it, it, it's it's worth it, I suppose, if we're going to have these positive discussions. But like Lena touched on, it's important that they're followed through and follow through in the right way, because there's far more issues than just handing out 20, 25 contracts, whatever it may be. There's so many other issues, as we know, in Irish women's rugby, but it's a starting point and hopefully it leads to something more positive for the girls.
1: Absolutely. So, Keane, one of the recommendations in that independent review into the World Cup qualifying campaign was the introduction of hybrid or retainer contracts to be looked at. So I I don't think we're talking about kind of full time contracts here. We're not quite sure what the picture will look like for the RFU. Now, we know the pathways and the game from the ground up needs to be developed. We all know that. But as Keen touched on, what is really important now that this conversation has started is that the contracts that is done in the right way. What to you as a player is the right way? I, th- I think it's
2: quite difficult. We we're often guilty in the women's game of just you know picking up the men's format and trying to drop it down and hoping that it'll just that 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 jigsaw piece will just slot right in there, and that's that's not the case. You know, <clears throat> just even simply from the fact that we don't all come through academies. You know, most of the female players have been through school into university and have picked up in, in Ireland's case rugby a little bit later in life. Um so there's there's that instance in itself that makes us very different. A lot of us have careers and jobs. You know, a lot of the girls. Hope they don't mind me saying this, but they are in quite decent wages. now they work incredibly hard, but they are in quite decent wages living and working in Dublin, and that would be something incredibly hard to give up when you see the news this week that you know the average rent rent rental cost in Dublin for a year is up around twenty two thousand. Yeah, twenty four thousand actually. Uh, beg your pardon, and it's twenty two thousand is minimum wage. So, would the Irish contracts be anything above twenty two thousand a year? Would that sustain a player living in Dublin? You know, we, we probably do need to look at a more fluid approach to this in terms of, especially those people who have careers, like you mentioned, Hannah O'Connor is a primary school teacher. There are a lot of players that are nurses, some of them are doctors, Catherine Dane's qualified physiotherapist. You don't want them to drop that career on its head and go play for Ireland for the next five, six years and then hope that it'll be still there for them to come back to it. There has to be a bit more of a fluid, kind of uh, cohesive way of looking at this. I'd, and I'd love to see the IRFU, you know, appoint a kind of a player liaison to help Once these contracts are released and if you're lucky enough to be given one, someone will go and talk to your employer and you'll hopefully be able to keep your position in some way, you know, where maybe you work in the off season or maybe you work one day a week. Something that will, number one, give you enough money that you can still survive paying and living in Dublin, you know, the really expensive cost of living and rent. And number two, you can still progress and retain your career because you haven't been privileged enough to be in the Leinster Academy since the age of whatever um, I think it's, it's really important that those things are taken into consideration because we don't need to pick up the men's format and drop it down on the women's game again.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it was three years ago the speculation came out that the England players, as full-time pros, would have been on now a pretty modest 28,000 sterling a year. Um, we don't know if full-time contracts, as we say, are on the way, but it's not exactly a Lamborghini these players are going to be out buying once they, once they get these contracts keen.
0: It's, it's such a brilliant point that, that Kleena makes, and it's actually... It's a good point about that. We'll say, I don't want to stay older girls who are 26, 27, 28, because that's absolutely not old. But even younger girls, because this applies to the men's game as well in a different way. But like you hear so many rugby players, particularly guys who've had to retire early, talking about the amount of years not that they've missed basically in trying to climb that career land affects your overall life. Like no rugby player is going to be set for life no matter what, they're going to have to work afterwards. So you're always playing catch up. So it's actually the younger girls as well. I think it applies to because let's say a young girl is coming through and she studies medicine and gets you know enough points to redeems her for medicine and wants to go to college to be a doctor, is she really going to you know put that to the side and you know or it, it like realistically these contracts are not going to be that lucrative because if you look at the men's and women's sevens contracts which exist at the moment they're really not paid that well at all and lots of the girls and guys are juggling jobs like Lena has kind of said. Um, I know Amy Lee murphy Crow, for example, is on a sevens contract, but she works in a gym as well, part-time. And it's no different to the the men's team. I remember talking to Billy Dardis, the sevens captain, about this recently, and he's after starting a full-time job because there was a bit of a drop-off after Tokyo when they got to the Tokyo Olympics because guys were looking at it going, okay, we've ticked that box, we've got there, but I actually have to start making money here and living my life. So uh, it's a very difficult balance, and I think it will apply to – no matter what age or what stage you you are at in your career, because realistically, the, we're not talking about um, central contracts like that are in the men's game, where fifteen players are going to be on you know six figures. That's just realistically not going to happen. So, it is very important that whatever is put in place that it is manageable. And I really like Lena's idea, actually, that you know, you would be able to kind of work it with your job. And to be fair, you know, this is the point that Hannah O'Connor was making that in her school, her principal is unbelievably accommodating. And, you know, because like, it's crazy when you think about it, the amount of time off work that she needs. I think it's like three days this week because they they left to go to Belfast yesterday, which is Wednesday. So Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it's a lot of time off uh, from your kids. So she has to put in, you know, time in in terms of planning, forward planning for lessons and that. So uh, it would be brilliant if, whatever contracts come in girls could yeah could could continue their careers as well but obviously that would be dependent on what kind of job they're in and and if their boss is is accommodating which to be fair it sounds like a lot of the girls in the system do have accommodating bosses because I don't think you'd be able to manage it otherwise. but yeah I really like that idea from Kleena that you can kind of hopefully juggle both careers
1: So for you Kleena let's say you're in Wasps at the moment would you see it if you were part of this that you would move back to Ireland or would you like to continue playing with Wasps come back, um, have your kind of retainer contract or whatever it is, stay in Ireland for the duration of the Six Nations, you know, maybe for the, the new uh, World Rugby Global Competition that's going to come in from next September, October. Would that be a route? Would you like to still play in Wasps or would you think the players would need to play in Ireland?
2: That That's a really interesting point. I don't know what, they, what will happen. Um, I think in the immediate term, the players that are here that have set up lives here would need to wait where they are. Like for example, I've 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 bought a property in London. You know, like I I live over here. Um, my partner plays for England. There's no real. I couldn't really get away with, you know, <laughs> splitting splitting everything back up again, and that's not gonna There'd work. be no more trips to Thailand. No, they wouldn't. No. Um. So I think just feasibly that wouldn't work for me. You know, I've been here since 2018. Um, I've got you know a career here. I'm trying to look to progress that as well i've tried to manage things as best i can to enable me to play rugby for wasps and that's where i i've seen most of my development mm-hmm. i think that will be quite similar with a couple of the other girls like i know sam Monaghan has a good career down she works down in brighton um edel mcmahon works over here you know a lot of the girls have actually got quite good careers over here and they've managed to make make life work alongside part-time rugby um and that's an important point to note as well around i know you mentioned earlier on the england contracts um and while there are not huge amounts of money, it's important to remember that those players are all being subsidised by Premier 15 clubs. So yeah. I don't think you'd find a single player that's contracted by England that's not also getting paid by their club. So, you know, that brings the wage up a little bit again in order to be able to live in places like London or Cardiff or Bristol, wherever, wherever you'd need to be able to sustain yourself to play the best rugby. Um, so it's a really difficult one. I don't see the AIL clubs doing that anytime soon. So, whatever way the IRFU try and do it, whether it's central co- contracts based in Dublin, or whether you know we've seen the news earlier on this week from the URC that they're looking to jump on the women's rugby bandwagon, you know they had a they had a strategy meeting and a lot of people kind of noted that they wanted to see the company or you know to see the competition uh, move forward to incorporate women's rugby, and that's a really positive thing to note from from their ambition but as well as that you know how how does that look that's a really it's opened up a whole minefield of things this week really a lot of the press
1: yeah no it has Uh, keen that idea of a women's urc you know was floated i mean it is great to talk about these things publicly you know get the conversations going you know get the imagination going about where women's rugby can go but you also kind of want a bit of substance there as well
0: yeah, it it felt like a bit of a flyer that you know it was in the news because like I yeah like if if in theory it worked out it would be great but it just feels like Irish rugby in particular is a long way off that you need to get your own house in order before you start looking at a glitz and glamour kind of URC league so um yeah like there's there's just so many issues like I thought it was really interesting actually I was writing about it on in my piece on Monday after the game that throughout the the whole match on Sunday. Um, in the coach's box because the press, the press box in Welford Road is situated right next to the the, the away coaches box. So I was sitting next to Greg McWilliams, pretty much just kind of separate. But David Sephora was sat next to Greg McWilliams for the whole thing. Um, which was interesting because he's the man ultimately, you know, in control here. He's the one making the decisions. Like he basically had a front row seat for like a Shellock in like a sixty nine nil like, and it, like to be fair it could have been worse. Like England could have put up a hundred points there if they were a bit more accurate in that first half. So I'd love, I'd love to have been in his head to know like kind of what he was thinking at that time as he watched it, because it was just, it was tough to watch. Like I said, in that second half and you're seeing clean, I made this point in last week's podcast, the players that England were rolling off the bench, like, you know, it was ridiculous. Like I'd say most of that bench would start for any other nation in the world. Like the players that were coming on were just as good. So, um, the Irish performance director had, like I said, a front row seat for all that. So I suppose it'll be interesting. He kind of usually does an end of season um, review. So whenever that happens, it'll be interesting to kind of get his his thoughts on it and and where we're going with it. But um, yeah, like we've known for ages that something has to change. And like I kind of said at the start, it's just really unfortunate for these girls that they have to go through these brutal like experiences um, in losing by by that much because. Like no one wants to go out on the pitch to lose ever but to lose by that much when you're wearing an, a green jersey is very very tough so like you said a URC league would be great but I think there's far more issues to to sort out closer to home first
1: Yeah for sure I just saw a tweet there from Ali Donnelly the, uh, the voice of women's rugby saying I confidently predict that this weekend is the last time you will ever see fully or mostly amateur teams playing in this competition next year. All teams will be on a mix of full or hybrid contracts and that despite how we might l- lament the pace of change is remarkable progress. And, you know, it would be remarkable progress, wouldn't it, Clean. Yeah,
0: up? it would. And like, you know what? like the, the fact that Italy, and I'm not being disparaging against Italy, but the fact that Italy have given 25 con- retainer contracts, but they're still, they're still something, is hugely, hugely, hugely admirable. Now, I know they're going to the World Cup, but I'd love... If Ireland had qualified for the World Cup, would the IRFU have done something similar to give them a fair chance? Because if the Italian Union are finding the funds to do it, you know, you got to kind of look closer at home to see what you can do. So the World Cup qualifier failure has probably given a bit of a free pass almost because there's no immediate pressure to go, oh, we've got a World Cup at the end of this year. We really need to do this and that. So I think that's another kind of kick in the teeth for not having qualified for the World Cup because if they did perhaps like something might have been pushed into happening sooner because you know no one wants to be going to a World Cup racking up the kind of scores that we saw last weekend
1: Did it give the IRFU free pass clean? I mean there was just that little letter that a group of you sent to the government as well <laughs>
2: <laughs> Yeah uh, it it probably uh, t- to be honest with you my gut would say that you you probably would have seen contracts kick in um, if we or the had World qualified. Cup if you qualified I think so, yeah. Um, I I believe as well, and I might be incorrect. It, I I did hear this information for, and I I think I read it actually about the WXV tournament. That one of the caveats uh, of being part of Tier One of the, the, the regional competition, I think, is as as it will be called, that you need to be at least part time. You know, your squad needs to be at least part time. So if Ireland, and Scotland indeed had hopes to be part of that Tier One competition, they would need to make plans for that move now. Now that would as i believe before that would that would mean you'd have to qualify in the top 3 of the six nations be to finish in the top 3 of the six nations that was meant to happen this year but i believe that'll probably happen next year after the world next cup year. so you know if if you're if as a union you have ambitions for your women's team to be in that top tier you would have to look at least have plans for um for for part time contracts or retainers so ali's right in that
1: prediction i would say yeah, I would say so, because I remember when that competition was announced last year, I got onto World Rugby because you can't just announce a competition and not have the structures in place for the players to play at it. And that was when Ireland were amateur players. So I was like, how is this going to happen? It's, you know, a September into October window. I mean, you're dealing with amateur players. What's going to finance this, you know? But anyway, I got a statement back from World Rugby, but it didn't really amount to much. But they they, do ha- they are looking to work with the unions. To see what is the best way forward, but I do think that will hopefully um, that new competition will accelerate uh, players to becoming professional. The rest, let we we better move on to the team that was announced today. Um, Three changes keen in that team, and brilliant to see Sam Monahan back
0: yeah absolutely she was badly missed to be fair Ethan McDermott held her own when she came in she but like, Sam Man- Sam Manahan's probably been Ireland's player of the tournament Um, you'd have to say so yeah three changes I mean Sene Naupu is obviously still in I mean I was if I'm going to be honest I was surprised she didn't she didn't get a ban just just going by rugby across the board at yeah. the moment uh, I don't think she could have any complaints but look it's a huge boost for Ireland to have her back obviously dipping further into the the sort of talent pool again, you've got Vicky Irwin making her debut at fullback. Um, so that means Molly Suffolk-McCabe goes onto the wing. Um, Igor Constantine got a really bad injury and just had an update there from Greg McWilliams that she looks like she'll be out for 12 weeks. But he was actually really like positive about that because they initially thought it was, it was a shocker. I think they were probably thinking ACL reading between the lines, but thankfully, thankfully it's only 12 weeks, which sounds like a mad thing to say. Um, Nicole Cronin broke a rib last week. So she, she misses out as well. So it kind of just goes to show like, the, like what I'm talking about, the physicality that, that they were playing against. So um, yeah, look, this is, I think we kind of had a similar conversation when we were, the three of us were chatting around the Italy game, This week is very different, even though Ireland are down the seven players. and we don't need to go over all that again. But there's pressure on Ireland to not only finish the Six Nations on a high, but I think also to like there's been an encouraging discussion and I would say narrative around the fallout. It it hasn't been like, oh, 69 nil, you know the players are awful, blah, blah, blah. It's been like a wider raging discussion, but I think it's up to the players now as well to kind of, you know, back that, back that up with a big performance this weekend. I think they're it's great that they have the chance to do it because you don't want to end your Six Nations campaign um with a 69 nil defeat in england and look there's revenge as well and that's going to be an issue as well because scotland were obviously the team who have denied ireland the chance to play at the world cup uh, by winning the qualifier last year so um there's pressure there's pressure on this team but again the pack has a familiar kind of look to it with sam Monahan back you know it's a big boost nikki cohey comes in at 10 she's kind of come back in hasn't played i don't think for ireland for a while so interesting to see how she gets on so there's a bit of continuity there. And like I said, we've seen another debutant go and like Molly saw McCabe, it's only her second cap. So you would hope that the difficulties over the last few weeks will really stand to these girls. And even I thought it was interesting. Like Greg McWilliams was saying that there's a, there's a, a girl who's doing her leaving search. Sorry, her name escapes me now from Tullamore, um, a center in with the Ireland squad this week, which is crazy. She's only 18 and doing her leaving search. But it's brilliant to see however way they're working it because they're getting her in they're showing her what it's like you know to be around the, the squad so um, you're starting to see new names you know coming through which is really encouraging and they'll, they'll only be all the better for it won't they get into no matter what kind of experience it is even if it is for for that girl just getting the taste of it
1: yeah sure. will even Parsons that time she was doing her leaving yeah. as well and she to miss those uh, final few games of the six nations what about Lea that Tarpey,
0: sorry that's her name Sinead Leah oh. Tarpy like okay, better great. give her her juice
1: Absolutely. clean, what about that? Is this particularly a really high pressure game now on the Irish team this weekend? I think I think it it, it it's it's not it's not as high as
2: pressure as maybe the, the Italy game might have been. Like they might have needed that win a little bit more. Uh but they will they will feel a want to finish strong. Um they might be a little bit battle weary after England. You know, we saw, I think. When Italy played England. They had to put up about 200 tackles in defence. Ireland had 187, I think, maybe 197, something very similar like that. Does not only take, take a take toll on your body going back into work on the Monday morning, but you're feeling it when you meet back up still on the Wednesday. You know, it, it's it's quite a it's quite a lot to it's quite a lot of weight to to carry around with you for the week because they're they're well conditioned units. The the English team are so, you know, the the bodies will be feeling that they they will have gained a little bit though from bringing Sam on him back. I think that will really help them get a bit more gain line, get a bit more continuity, um, not only the fact that they 'll playing against Scotland rather than England, which don 't be met with such a might maybe in the tackles, but they will they 'll hopefully free their hands up a little bit more, and Sam might bring that back. Um interesting to see um, Nikki Cahi back in. I yes, thought she played yes, well yes. in the AIL final, as did Ailsa Hughes, who's on the bench. I'm delighted to see her back in. She scored two tries actually in that AIL final against BlackRock. And I thought it was probably one of the best games I've seen from Ailsa in a long, long time. We got to see kind of what she can bring to the game from a bit of a run in nine perspective. So I hope if she gets off the bench for Catherine Dane, that we get to see that this weekend, particularly when the game opens up.
1: Yeah, Kleena, what about, you know, uh, as Keane mentioned there, like the unbelievable physicality of this of that England game. Going into the final game now of this Six Nations, I always remember now, look, it's different apples, obviously, but uh, back in 2015, when the Irish men's team, uh, they were in the running for the Grand Slam, they lost to Wales in Cardiff, and then the following week, they were in Murrayfield to play Scotland. And I always remember Joe Schmidt saying at the top of that week that the players were just a bit flat, and like these are professional players, but they were flat because they were out of the running for the Grand Slam. But I'll never forget the day before that game in Murrayfield, the players were out on the pitch, and I've never seen a group of players have so much fun. They were just, the pressure looked off them. Uh, They were laughing and, you know, I remember Paul O'Connell, he was just roaring laughing during the session. What does Greg McWilliams need to do? Uh, Players are amateur, they've been in work, they're trying to get in all these training sessions before Saturday's game. They almost need the loads to be lightened though as well, so they can go out and, you know, make the most of Saturday.
2: Yeah, I think he probably needs to encourage them to, It'll be, you know, you tell them that it's their final time to make a mark on this Six Nations. I guess it's been a Six Nations where we've seen huge amounts of coverage, you know, brilliant leaps forward in terms of contracts, promotion of the game. TikTok have done a great amount of work around, you know, the reach that it's that it's made, the, the view viewing figures, the attendant figures, everything. You know, it'll be their final chance what what will what will people remember about Ireland from the Six Nations? So I think if he can instill that in the team that, to show their best of what he's brought to them from the Six Nations, which is, you know, attacking, flair, offloading, they will struggle a little bit missing the likes of Stacey and Eve Higgins in particular for that, I think. But, you know, it's an opportunity for people like Molly to show up, people like Enya Breen. She, she's a lot more capability than we have seen and it was probably a difficult ask for her to come in and, and you know show us her best against England, but I'd like to see a little bit more of that in particular from those players this weekend.
1: This is where Greg McWilliams' positivity really comes into play, Keen, isn't it? Yeah. And
0: yeah. like it, it is it is really difficult to be fair for the coaches because like they only got the players on Wednesday. So like, you're trying to get the balance of addressing the defeat to England, but also turning the page and looking towards Scotland. So, and then because it's such a short window, like you I would imagine they're very reluctant to overload them with too much information. And that's been like a team of throughout this whole thing. But one thing I don't think, I'm not sure if we've touched on throughout the, the few weeks, but like how massively encouraging is it that there's going to be a tour this summer? I believe it's going yes. to be, to, I believe it's going to be to Japan. So, like before, they'd be breaking up after the Six Nations, and it'd be okay. Hopefully, we'll see you again for like we'll try and get some November internationals. Whereas now, it looks like there's going to be a two-test tour in Japan, which would be first of all unbelievable experience for the players to get to go and actually, you know, go on a tour basically. But also, it gives players, you know, a chance to come back in sooner. Like, like it gives Greg MacWilliams and Neve Briggs and the coaches more time with them. So, um. There's there's enough of a carrot there, you know, to finish the Six Nations on a high, like that's enough of motivation, but with a summer tour, which is going to come around the corner really quickly, I think that'll add even more motivation to the, the you know, the less experienced players who are in there trying to make an impression. So uh, there's a lot of stake, I think, this weekend, tonight.
1: Absolutely. Um, Keen Keen mentioned it there about like, you know, Scotland grudge match. I think this is what the women's Six Nations needs as well. A real good hard grudge match because it's so lopsided. You know, England have it with France, but, you know, I'm kind of looking forward to that. But, you know, what will it be like for those players... We all remember those scenes in Parma. Honestly, it gives me a pain in my stomach still thinking of the players so disappointed after the way that World Cup qualifier ended in Parma. What would it be like for them, you know, and everything that will bring back almost um, on Saturday?
2: Yeah, it, it will be difficult. Um, it's, you know what? It's funny. It's probably even more difficult. Well, I think there's only one player still around from the, the last time we had, we, 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 we graced the field at Kingspan, which was, you know the the 2017 World Cup where we actually ended up losing out on the seventh eighth place playoff, which set us on this weary road to start with. You know um, we didn't qualify then to, for automatic requalification for the next World Cup, and it was a it was a dismal really experience um, or the end to a dismal World Cup experience I think. So Sene is probably the only one who Billy, will remember yeah. who will remember the tears that we cried on that field, um, or you know she was the only one who was there certainly. Um, that coupled with it being Spain the, the, or Scotland, sorry, there are a couple of new faces in there who won't really know that pain. I suppose that's probably a good and a bad thing. I think to be honest, I I would try and encourage the players to put that behind them and to bring out the best of what they can bring to the Six Nations in order to get the win. It it will be a bit of a, it won't be as easy as we think it it might be. Scotland don't have a bad set piece at all, um, and I think you could see them really rise to this challenge, particularly that it is Ireland. You know, they might they might use that motivation more than Ireland. I hope would, Ireland might look to finish on a flurry, uh, you know, and display the best of their rugby and, and Scotland might look to reassert their, uh, the fact that they are going to the World Cup and Ireland are not. Um, well, I'd hope that would be the case anyway, but I, to I do Ireland, hope, yeah. <laughs> yeah, take it to Ireland is right. But I, I do hope that we can see the improvements in the set piece that will give Ireland the platform to play the game that we
1: have seen glimpses
2: of, um, you know.
1: Yeah, well, I think the the last time Ireland played Scotland at home was the 2nd of February at Donnybrook in 2020, and Ireland just about edged it that day, uh, 18 points to 14. So let's what are we looking at prediction-wise for Saturday?
0: Uh, I'd be, yeah, I'd be optimistic of them finishing on you know a, a win. Um, like I said, it, it's great to see there is might be a little bit of a of an edge there to it because the Six Nations need it with its lopsided nature. But yeah, look, like I said, tonight there is so much motivation for these players. Like it on paper, it's a dead rubber, but that really isn't going to be the case inside in that squad. They're playing for places, you know, on the Japan tour. Uh, they're playing for places going forward. So, um, you hopefully they get a good crowd. That was one thing actually about being in welford road last week and it was to be honest it was the same when i was in toulouse um it shows you when the product is good and teams are playing good rugby that people will come out and support it like i I honestly i'd say over an hour after the full-time whistle last weekend, there was, I would say, several thousand supporters still in the stadium waiting for photographs, waiting for autographs. Like, the English players are are superstars over there. Um, and I'm talking about grown men, grown women as well, trying to get selfies. It wasn't just kids. So um, hopefully a big crowd will come out to the Kingspan Stadium this weekend and and get behind the team. And yeah, like I said, I'd be fairly hopeful that they could finish on – on a positive note, I think we saw enough in that. I know it's a much-changed team, but in that Italy game, we saw when the set-piece, like Kleena said, does provide the platform that there are backs there capable of of doing that. And I still think in that back three, like with Aoife Doyle and uh, Molly Suffolk-McCabe, there is firepower there to to hurt this Scottish team. So, yeah, hopefully they can kind of, like I said, kick on the kind of positive kind of conversations that we've been having in the media all week and back it up by delivering a big performance.
2: Kleena? Yeah, I think it, it will be tight, but um, as Keane mentioned, if the if a set piece performs and, you know, we get that front foot ball and we're kind of playing with a little bit more continuity, I, I would hope Ireland would win maybe a similar scoreline, to be honest. I would say it'd be something like 2015 or 18-14, something, something something along those lines. I don't see a lot in it, um, but I'd be hopeful that they can
1: get the win, yeah. Okay. Okay, great stuff, uh, Kleena and Keen. Thank you very much for joining us uh, during the duration of the Women's Six Nations. I've really enjoyed um, chatting with you, and hopefully, look, Ireland will sign off this Six Nations with a win. And sure, look, there might even be a different landscape around this Ireland team by the time next year's Six Nations comes around. Will and Luke will have more for you on the left wing next week. But bye for now.